What's up? Welcome to Forte Catholic Radio. We are having way too much fun in the studio here tonight. As as always, I am Taylor Schroll, your magnanimous host. I'm not really sure what the word magnanimous means, so I hope it's a good thing. Um, we have our um, I don't know any other adjectives producer Jake Blazek here in the studio, and his girlfriend here in the studio as well. Who is what's your name in his phone? It's uh, Abigail, my beautiful girlfriend, and I was convinced. I knew from the get go that Jake did not put that in there. It was actually Abby herself. So, um, welcome to episode 34. Of Forte Catholic, we've got a great show planned for you today. Uh, if you listened to the show last week, if you listened on the podcast, I talked last week about the retreat I went on the week before. But last week, since we had the great um, honor of having Joel St- Joel Stepanik, how do we decide how to say that? Stepanik, Stefanik, <laughs> Chris Stefanik was not on Stepanik. the show. Stepanik. All right, I messed it up. Sorry, Joel, you're my bro. Um, so he he was on last week, so we didn't get to talk a lot about. Uh, what happened on the retreat, because we were talking about discernment. So if you missed that podcast, you can always check it out on ForteCatholic.com slash radio to listen to all the old shows. And it can if you listen to podcasts on iTunes or Google Play or Stitcher or SoundCloud, whatever, you can always subscribe. So you never miss a single word that I say because I'm very lovable. And then also uh, you won't miss all these, all these great guests. I've just been so honored to have so many great guests. We have another one coming on today. The Catholic hipster, Mr. Tommy Ty, is coming on. I've wanted him to come on the show for quite some time now, and uh, it's finally worked out with our schedules for, for him to come on. So um, he will teach us what it means to be a Catholic hipster. But first of all, like I'm still not really sure I understand what a hipster is in general. <laughs> so uh, we're, he's going to explain that to us, talk about his he, – he's a, he's a, right, has a book coming out. He's on a, a couple of podcasts uh, on SiriusXM, on the iTunes Store, all that kind of stuff. He's a blogger, and he's all over Twitter. He's one of my favorite people to follow on Twitter. He's absolutely hilarious. So he's going to be talking to us, um, not, uh, not only explaining what a Catholic hipster is, but also like how to use social media to, to further the kingdom of God uh, and to further the, the church's mission, that sort of thing. In, the first, in this first segment here and in the, in the next segment, in the, sorry, the third segment, I'm going to be sharing a couple of stories that really hit me in this retreat that I went to. Uh, it's kind of a funny thing because, you know, you go on the, like, I, I go on this retreat once a year. It's like a personal retreat to kind of go and, and refocus, recenter my life around Christ, um, that sort of thing. And this was my first one I've done since having the radio show. So it was kind of this hilarious thing. I kept having these great moments with God in prayer. And then I was like, oh my goodness, I have to talk about this on my show. So while I'm on this retreat praying and, and hearing talks and all these sorts of things, I start um, taking notes on what I have to say on my radio show. So that's, that's, that's a little insight into how I prep for the show and a little insight to uh, how focused my prayer is or, or isn't, right? So uh, the two stories we're going to be looking at today are actually, um, a lot of the characters are actually the same people. So we're going to be looking at the story of the raising of, uh, the raising of Lazarus, which is in the Gospels. So Jesus is in it, obviously. And then uh, Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And then we're also going to be looking at um, the anointing at Bethany, with that, which actually involves Jesus again, because it's kind of his story, and then also looking at at Mary and Mary and Martha, um, uh, centered around Lazarus as well. So um, I actually never noticed the connection between like those two stories. So we're going to dive into that. So um, let's go ahead and get right into it. But before, actually, you know what? I just want to stop and say Happy Pentecost. That that was a great, great church feast that we that we celebrated this last weekend. I learned something absolutely crazy today. It's one of those things where I was excited to learn it, but I also felt really stupid <laughs> when I learned it because I've been, you know, in ministry for 10 years. I've been, I grew up in the Catholic Church. <clears throat> I never knew that Pentecost was a Jewish thing. I never knew that. I don't know how I didn't know that. So, like, the, the daily reading for, for today. What, Jake? You're going to make fun of me? No, it's okay because I was going to say that I also didn't know that it was a Jewish thing. Until just now? Until just now. <laughs> Did you know? He knew. No. Nope. No. All right. So, 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 two of the, f- no, one of the four people in this room knew this information before today. <laughs> so you're welcome. So I, my guess is the reason I wanted to share it. Number one, I love Pentecost. We talked about the Holy Spirit a lot on the show. 
So that's not the avenue we're going to go today. We're going to talk about what I just told you we're going to talk about. But um, I, so I was reading the daily readings today, and it's the story of Tobit, which is in the Old Testament. And it says, and then on the eve of Pentecost, and I was like, wait, like, did the USCCB make a typo <laughs> on their daily readings? And I was like, okay, Taylor, you need to learn that if the USCCB and you have something <laughs> that, that you don't agree on, the USCCB is probably right. Taylor is not. So, uh, again, this proved true. I was wrong because Pentecost actually was a Jewish holiday. So, just like how Passover uh, coincides with with Easter, we talked about that a few weeks ago, that uh, Passover was on Friday right before uh, Easter. So, um, 50 days after after Pentecost, they celebrate, They uh, sorry, 50 days after the Passover, they celebrate Pentecost. And it was so interesting because uh, when they celebrate the Passover, what they're celebrating is, is obviously in, in, um, in the Old Testament in Egypt when Jesus passed over the houses in Egypt um, of those who were uh, of the houses of Israel. And he f- physically saved them. Right? He, he, he took them out of their slavery in Egypt and brought them out towards the Holy Land, right? So what they celebrate on, on Pentecost 50 days later, is their saving of, of God on how to live a spiritual life. Because that, that's what they're celebrating on Pentecost is the giving of the Torah, the giving of the, the Word of God, the giving of those first five books of the Bible. So it's, it's just so interesting to me that we have Easter as our Passover, where like Christ saves us from our sin, right? And then on Pentecost, where he gives us the Holy Spirit, to help us to live the Christian lives that we're supposed to, right? So it's just one of those cool little things, uh, the connections between Judaism and Catholicism that I absolutely didn't know. So I just thought that was that was pretty neat. So before we jumped into today's like actual content, I just wanted to share that uh, that little uh, Catholic trivia for you that um, only one of the four people in this room knew. Um, so, oh, speaking of which. There's another uh, radio, another uh, radio show on here on Red Sea that is hosted by uh, Father Ryan and Alyssa Trutter. Uh, they they just had a um, an episode where they had a rabbi come on and they talked about the connections between Judaism and Catholicism. So um, if if you would like to go check it out, it's called Everyday Catholics. You can find it on the App Store, uh, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, all that kind of stuff. Uh, check it out. I really found it interesting and. Uh, I also like those people, too. So, all right, let's get into this Raising a Lazarus story. And both of these stories, I would assume you've probably heard before, just like I had heard that Tobit story before and never realized that it says Pentecost in the Old Testament, right? But the Raising of Lazarus, so it's in John chapter 11. So it says, now there was a man who was ill, Lazarus from Bethany, the village of Mary and and her sister Martha. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfumed oil and dried his feet with her hair. So, and that's actually the story we're going to be talking about in the third segment, right? These are the same people. It was her brother Lazarus who was ill. So the sisters sent word to him saying, Master, the one you love is ill. When Jesus heard this, he said that this illness is not to end in death, but is for the glory of God, that the Son of God might, may be glorified through it. And I think that's the key verse for us. This, this, is, this story goes on for quite a while. But he says, this illness is not to end in death but is for the glory of God that the Son of God may be glorified through it. So even if you already know the end of this story, think about the apostles remembering that, what, what Jesus said as this story unfolds. So now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, so when he heard that he was ill, he remained for two days in the place where he was, which is an odd thing, right? If you're Jesus, you've been walking around healing people like crazy, and then you're like your fa- some of your favorite people in the world, your, your friends are suffering. Lazarus is suffering, right? And he stays there. He doesn't make an, an immediate move to go do it, which seems a little odd, but we'll see why he does that. And it, it all connects to that this illness will not end in death, but it's for the glory of God so that the Son of Man may be glorified through it. So Jesus goes to tell his apostles, and this, is, this, this might be the most hilarious part of this story. So Jesus says to the apostles, our friend Lazarus is asleep, but I'm going to awaken him. So the disciples said to him, master, if he is asleep, he will be saved. 
But then Jesus was talking, uh, but Jesus was talking about his death while they thought he meant ordinary sleep. And this is, this is one of the best verses in scripture. So then Jesus said to them clearly, Lazarus has died. <laughs> so Jesus is like trying to speak in this poetic language, like our brother Lazarus has fallen asleep. It's like, okay, why do we need to go to Bethany then? It's like, oh, you idiots. He's dead. He's dead. I'm trying to tell you that Lazarus is dead, right? Uh, So he says, I'm glad for you that I was not there, that you may believe. Let us go to him. Now, that's an odd thing to say. It's an odd thing to say that if um, he just found out, he found out two days earlier that that his friend Lazarus was sick. Now he's found out that he's died. And he tells his apostles, I'm glad for you that I wasn't there. Because we know that Jesus can heal people. He's already done it throughout the scriptures. So it's an odd thing to say, and it doesn't make sense until we get to the end of the story. So when Jesus arrived, he found Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was near Jerusalem, only about two miles away. And that verse stuck out to me so much as we were reading this. We were going through this, like, reflection on this scripture during our retreat. And I was thinking, the person who was leading the reflection said, "Uh, how long does it take you to walk two miles? And I was like, well, I don't know exactly, but let me look here on my Fitbit real quick. I have walked uh, 1.6 miles today. That's... I've been sitting down a lot today. It's only like 3,000 steps. I need to get moving. But even that, like I haven't moved that much today. And I've already walked almost two miles, right? I've been sitting at a desk most of the day, not even trying to get a lot of steps in. And I covered, I will have covered two miles by the end of the day while most of the day I was sitting, right? So Jesus, it wasn't like Jesus was days and days and days and days walks away. You could probably walk two miles in, you know, an hour, two hours, three hours. If you ran, it'd be really quick. But, oh, my gosh, I just pictured Jesus running a 5K. I bet he'd be amazing. All right, back to (laughs) – we pause this commercial broadcast to bring you this (laughs) picture of Jesus running a 5K. So this was all part of Jesus' plan. So he knew that Lazarus was suffering. He knew that Lazarus was ill. He knew that Mary and Martha were suffering because their brother – was sick. And I, and I start thinking about this, like, okay, we know that suffering happens in this world. We know that, uh, that people die, people get sick. Uh, so I, th- I think this story is really speaking to a lot of people who are in suffering. Like, there's a lot of people who like, like the prosperity gospel, like everything's going to be great when you become a Christian. And like Catholicism and, uh, know, knows the, the truth that like Jesus means what he says when he says that in this life you will have suffering. I suffered first, you will suffer too, right? But he's with us through it, and he wants to do good things in our suffering. And he allowed for Lazarus to die. Why? We go back to the beginning. It's all for the glory of God. This will not end in death, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. So even in our suffering, God wants to be glorified through him saving us in our suffering. So the story continues. Many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them about their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary sat at home. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died, which I think is, is such a natural reaction for Martha to have, right? She's like, I know that you could have helped me, Jesus. Why didn't you help me? It's kind of some frustration. But then even then she says, but even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. So Jesus said to her, your brother will rise. And Martha said to him, I know he will rise in the resurrection on the last day. So she takes something that she has already heard him say before. She's repeating things that he has said. It's like, I know he'll rise on the last day. And it's like she's looking at it in a purely spiritual realm. Like physically he's gone. He's done, right? So she's, she's putting God in a box, really. Even taking something that Jesus said and putting God in a box. But Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, believes in me, even if he dies, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never, will never die. Do you believe this? And then she says, yes, Lord, I have come to believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, 
the one who is coming to the world. It's like, well, you didn't really answer my question. <laughs> I asked you a question about whether you believe that those who believe in me will never die. And she actually, you know, she says she's the Messiah, but doesn't really ask, answer the question. But after they have this conversation, so if you notice, like, only Martha came out, right? Isn't it kind of odd that Mary didn't come out? Well, Martha heard the, <laughs> so I always thought that was interesting. It says, when she, when she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary secretly, saying, the teacher is here and is asking for you. As soon as she heard this, she rose quickly and went to him. So Martha heard Jesus was coming, didn't think to tell her sister Mary that she was here. So like it says it in the beginning, it's like Martha stayed at home. It's like, well, that's because no one told her that Jesus was here, right? Um, so she got up um, and went to go meet with Jesus. Uh, so when the Jews who were, who were with her in the house comforting her saw Mary get up quickly and go out, they followed her, presuming that she was going to the tomb to weep there. And I think that's such an interesting, like, kind of a, most time when I read this story, it's kind of just like a pass through, just like keeping the story going. But I thought that was so interesting that, the, that there were people in the community, their faith community, grieving with her. And then whenever she left, they just quietly got up and just went with her to go to go mourn with her, right? And, it, and as the story continues, we see that whenever they get to Jesus, it's Mary weeping, but also the other people weeping with her. And I just thought it was a, this beautiful image of even in suffering, a faith community co- like coming together, being an actual community in these times of tragedy. And I think we can learn some things from that. Um, and then Mary says to Jesus, she, she fell at his feet and said, almost the same thing Martha did. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping, he became perturbed and deeply troubled. So he doesn't have this conversation like he did with Martha. He says, with Martha. He says, where have you laid him? And Jesus goes up, take the stone away. And they start giving these excuses. Oh, he stinks. It's been four days. Oh, like you're just going to raise him on the last day. And Jesus just looks at him, cries out in a loud voice and says, Lazarus, come out. We take this story for granted. He walks up to a tomb of a dead guy who's been dead for four years, or four days, sorry. He says, Lazarus, come out. And the next line is, the dead man came out. <laughs> Tied hand and foot with burial bands. And he says, untie him and let him go. So I think what we can learn from this story is like not making excuses, making these purely spiritual things. God wants to like heal us and help us through our physical suffering, the things going on in our lives. So, um... We will be right back to talk with Tommy Ty, the Catholic hipster. So stay tuned. All right. Welcome back to Forte Catholic Radio. It's great to have you here tonight. I am joined by somebody I've wanted to get on the show for quite a while. I'm excited it's finally happened. Mr. Tommy Ty, the Catholic hipster. How are you doing tonight, Tommy? I'm doing good. How are you doing? I'm doing absolutely fantastic. I was, uh, you know, as I do with all of my guests, I was stalking you a bit on the Internet, you know, prepared for the, <laughs> preparing for the uh, interview. And I'm just, like, blown away by all the stuff that, that you're into. So uh, at CatholicHipster.com is kind of your home base. It's where everything kind of is. And I love your, your uh, tagline, Reclaiming Catholic Cool One Tweet at a Time. So, <laughs> That's right. That's what we're here for, right? <laughs> yeah. I found, you, I found you on Twitter, actually. And I actually have a confession to make about your, about your Twitter handle. All right. So you're, you're, I now know that it's the G-H is silent. So, like, not Tommy right. Teague or Teague. It's Tommy Ty, right. right? For a That's year, right. a year after, uh, after following you, I finally realized that. I was like, for That's a so y- funny. It's, I, I, yeah, I had, um, there was, I was listening to uh, the Catholic radio out here in the California Bay Area, and I had tweeted something at the radio station, and they were like, oh, we got this comment, and they read my tweet, and they said, and it's from this guy at, and then a bunch of letters, we don't really know what it means. <laughs> I was like, oh, man, my handle, it's, it's, it holds me back, but. Yeah, it's meant to help with the pronunciation of my difficult Gaelic last name. And it, to- it totally helps with the pronunciation, but for a year I was being like, man, I found this great guy to follow on Twitter. He's called, like, the G-Hissolent. I don't know what a G-Hissolent is, but, but he's awesome. 
Um, that's right. I should have come up with something cool that it meant, you know, some kind of backstory, but no, there's nothing there. <laughs> that's hilarious. Yeah. So you're, you're real active on Twitter. That's how I got, uh, kind of in touch with you the first time, but you also have, uh, a couple of podcasts. You do the chimney for Sirius XM's the Catholic channel. Why don't you explain to us in a little bit about what the chimney is? Uh, the chimney's great because it's something where I just get to read other people's, uh, social media content and people enjoy it. So, uh, when I see the best tweets or Instagram posts, um, I kind of collect those over the course of a half a week or so and then record a really short uh, segment just kind of sharing the things that are kind of trending on Catholic social media. So, you know, a, a lot of radio stations might present something that's like what's trending in regular cultures, media, um, and they probably won't talk about like the hashtag of Pentecost, right? So the chimney <laughs> is more focused on uh, what are Catholics talking about on social media. And it's really brief. On the radio, it only plays for about a minute. Um, the full-length podcast is about three minutes, so it's easy for people to get through uh, and gives people a good taste of what we're talking about. Because I think maybe we get in this little bubble, but outside of that bubble, people don't even know that Catholic social media exists. And it's uh, my job is to kind of expose it and let people know how cool it is. Yeah, and and you like really are cool on on Catholic Twitter. I like it's. I think it's through you and a lot of your crazy friends that I learned that Catholic Twitter actually was a thing. Uh, so we're gonna <laughs> we're, we're gonna get into your Twitter here in just a little bit. But the the funny thing about that I love about the about the chimney and it's your creativity in coming up with this little you know this little podcast, this little snippet for the radio is brilliant because it's none of your content. All you do is steal from other people, <laughs> and it's absolutely brilliant. So That's uh, right. So if it fails, I can blame everybody. I can blame all you guys out there. And if it's good, then I share the love with you guys, right? So, yeah, mad yeah, mad I, props to you, man. We, we always say that um, I've been in youth ministry for a long time. All good youth ministry is stealing and making kids cry. So, so there you go. <laughs> so you're doing it That's well. Fantastic. Um, yeah, and you also do the Catholic Hipster Podcast with the Catholic Drinky, Sarah Vabulous, who was actually on the show uh, a couple weeks ago on episode 30, so check her out. Um, but yeah, so the, this whole Catholic hipster thing. First of all, I have no idea. I, I know what a hipster kind of looks like, but if you ask me to, <laughs> to define hipster, I couldn't do it. So what's a hipster and what do you do with Catholic hipster? That's a, a great question. So I think, um, you know, at, at its, when you boil it all the way down, I think the term hipster, what we use it as today, is somebody who's countercultural, right? There's somebody who's almost like the quintessential millennial at this point with the way that people are viewing millennials these days. It's like people who are eating organic food, people who grow their beards out, people who go to like a butcher to get their meat instead of the grocery store, um, kind of like this doing things the hard way because it's the right way to do like a throwback kind of style to it. Um, the Catholic hipster was originally started because I was bored over Christmas vacation one time and I kind of started it as like a joke. Uh, we ran like a Catholic hipster of the year competition uh, just to be silly and it kind of took off and people really dug it. Uh, so at its core, the, uh, I guess, being a Catholic hipster and what is a Catholic hipster, the, the thesis would be that the most hipster thing you can be in our culture is to be authentically Catholic. So um, maybe throw aside what you would typically think as, as uh, normal cool from our culture's vantage point, and we're talking about people who are, are hip because they go to Eucharistic Adoration, right, or because uh, they pray the rosary instead of just having it hanging from their rearview mirror in their car. Um, people who are being countercultural by being authentically Catholic is kind of like the, the definition and the group that we're targeted at. That's great, man, and, and it's, it's so funny because I, I've always... Most of the time when I read your tweets, it's really interesting because I'll read a ton of them and I just laugh and laugh and laugh and laugh. And then you'll send one that's like this deep, like theological, spiritual thing. I'm like, oh, that actually helped me be a better person today. So uh, it totally. Well, that's good. There's a, yeah, there's a fine line. Sometimes I think it's funny because, uh, you know, you usually get followers on Twitter because you said something funny that got spread around. And then I always feel bad for those people who are like, oh, this guy, he's making jokes. Like, that's kind of funny. I get it. And then. You drop something very serious and people are like, whoa, what the heck? What's going on with this guy? Um, so you got to mix it up for people, I guess. <laughs> yeah, and, I th and I think it's, it's a great thing for our, you know, like just how people are today. I mean, one of the big reasons that I fell in love with, with Catholic media was Lino Rulli, the Catholic guy who's on SiriusXM Catholic Channel, where the chimney airs. And right. I, I, I just hear him talking and like he's called, he's called the Catholic guy and I'd listen to a 30-minute segment. And for 25 minutes, he's not talking about Catholicism. And I'm like crying, laughing, about to veer off exactly. the road because I'm laughing so hard. And like the last three minutes, he's like, and this is how it connects to your Catholic life. And I'm like, 
boom like that was amazing <laughs> and i totally see you right. doing you doing similar things there on your on your on your twitter account and all those types of things as well um well that's a generous comparison for sure but yeah that's the sweet spot i think it's um trying to let people know that you can be seriously catholic and also be normal and funny and enjoy regular life and uh making those connections is where it's at for sure yeah it's funny when i saw your tagline reclaim catholic cool one tweet at a time I uh, actually have written down, I just need to get the money to do it. But my next, uh, like, Forte Catholic item to sell is going to be make Catholicism fun again hats in the style of the, you know, the Trump make make America great again there hats. There you go. So, so there, there you go. go. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, those will be coming out here in a few, in a few months. But uh, I'm going to keep my eyes out for it then. Yeah, do it. Um, I, what's, I've always been scared to say that on the podcast because I feel like somebody's going to listen and do it before me. <laughs> just like, dang it. But, uh <laughs> Um, Especially after you just said that theft was the best way forward, you know. So they're probably <laughs> jump on that. They're like, you. you told me the idea, and you told I me to steal it. What you said, yeah. <laughs> Dang it! Why am I so generous? Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, it's funny because you were explaining a, a few minutes ago what a hipster is, and it finally clicked why I don't get it. It's because everything that you listed, I can't afford to do other than grow the beard. That's the only <laughs> thing that comes free. So I have the beard, oh, but no yeah. uh, no butchers, no uh, fancy clothes, all that kind of stuff. So That's right. The beard does come free. But there, you know, I think like when, we, when I was younger, it seemed like the hipsters were more like the people who were going to thrift stores and like buying ironic clothes back then that like, you know, just wearing them out of pure irony. So I think there's still a a way forward for those of us who have a more frugal budget that want, that want to kind of live this lifestyle. <laughs> it's like, apparently being poor is cool now. This is awesome. <laughs> that would be great for a whole lot of us. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> especially for a lot of us that work in or, in or around the church. Huh? So uh, I know you're also working on a project that's coming out. I think it's done, actually, but it's coming out in, in September, the Catholic Hipster Handbook. Uh, that's it's. I think you're working on getting the becoming the most uh, pre-ordered book in in your publisher's history, right? Let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah, we'll keep our fingers crossed and see what happens with that. So it's a um, it's a compendium of a bunch of different contributions from tons of people who are way cooler than me. Um, you know, people who I'm sure you know, like Anna Mitchell, who's a, kind of big in Catholic radio. Sarah Fabulous, who you had on, Father Kyle Schnipple, um, Jeannie Gaffigan wrote the foreword. Jim Gaffigan's uh, I love amazing Jeannie. wife, and I. have I believe his uh, sole joke writer, so she's definitely the funny one. That's Atlantic when you look at it. He's just funny yeah, looking so, and does it the better delivery. Right. Yeah. <laughs> He's got the delivery, right, and she writes all the material. Um, so, yeah, so it's a book that just kind of covers uh, the question that you asked. What does it mean to be a Catholic hipster? Why is it cool to be Catholic? So uh, we're looking at all these different topics, like um, the old calendar. Uh, Anna Mitchell does that because she's one of these people who keeps her Christmas decorations up until the Feast of the Presentation in February. So that's definitely some extreme uh, hipster Catholicism yeah, that even real. I can't match. Um, you know, talking about the, the Latin mass, talking about prayers that people don't remember, saints that people have never heard of. Um, so we take all these different topics, and including culture ones like going to the farmer's market, uh, drinking at a craft brewery as opposed to getting regular beer, um, and we take all of those and put a Catholic spin on it, connect it to our faith, and then we connect um, kind of a, a trendy saint that most people maybe haven't heard about before or a story of a popular saint people haven't heard of uh, a prayer that's like fallen off the radar that nobody prays anymore and an activity to sort of put that into practice. Um, so that's kind of what we're looking at. I don't know if it's going to become the most pre-ordered book in history, although that's kind of the dream and the plan because uh, the most pre-ordered book in Ave Maria history is like a book about uh, making Catholic parishes, the greatest Catholic parish that they can be. And I think that they ordered cases of those for parishes around the country. So we have a tall order, but we're on our way. <laughs> that, wouldn't it be hilarious if, like, the next, you know, like, that parishes in Advent typically, like, tried, you know, recently have been buying books, like, yeah. Catholic or something. Tommy Ties, the Catholic handbook, is the next. Let's, uh, <laughs> let's set, set Matthew Kelly aside for a bit and hand these out instead for, <laughs> for one yeah. and see what happens. And, and on, on Twitter, <laughs> y'all been talking about a coup of taking over UWTN for a while, so maybe this is it, That's taking right. over Matthew That's Kelly right. first. <laughs> that's, that's hilarious that's definitely right yeah there we go it's a it's a great place to piss people off we're doing we're doing great <laughs> this is like this is a yeah my podcast we always make sure that we alienate one group of people so yeah, here we are doing that again i guess maybe that just follows me around but no um yeah matthew kelly's great 
for people who love him, I, I think it's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, it, it's been nice having you on the last Forte Catholic episode ever aired because we just made everybody angry. <laughs> EWTN's going to call and shut us down. So um, That's so funny. Yeah, I, I hope not. I'll pray for, I'll pray for uh, the soul of the show, if it, as it yeah. were. <laughs> Thanks. In, in our last like five, five or so minutes together, I want to talk about because uh, you have all these things where you're using the internet, you're using social media, you, you're using your platform to you know bring back Catholic cool and like like we said, make people laugh, draw them in, and then be able to share the truths of the Catholic Church. So there's a lot of people in in the Catholic Church, like uh, adults or even the youth, that are just like ah, social media is stupid. So <laughs> I want to negate that a little <laughs> bit because I absolutely love it. So how are you using it to further the kingdom? How are you using it as a Catholic? Oh, man. I mean, you know, the first thing is building community. Um, I, I know that people really want to be connected to that community outside of Sunday Mass. And I think we try hard, but for, for myself, I'll speak for myself so I don't offend anybody. I've got three kids and I've got my wife and I've got a full-time job. And it's very difficult for me to kind of engage in activities outside of Mass um, because uh, it's not like a busyness, but it's like I have a responsibility towards my family. So I have a difficult time kind of balancing that. Uh, how do I stay involved with the community and also fulfill my role as a father and a husband and an employee, right? So I think that social media fills that gap because you instantly connect with people who who get you. Um, I know you're out in Texas, right? I'm in the California Bay Area. And while there is a small contingent of us really faithful Catholics out here, for the most part, Catholics are considered kind of weirdos out here in the Bay Area, right? You'd think it'd be flip-flop when you're looking at us, but really, like, we're the ones that are kind of the weirdos out here. Um, so to be able to connect with people who share your beliefs about, like, social justice issues, about, um, you know, being pro-life and pro-family and being, and being Catholic is so powerful. And I think it's really neat to have that connection. And then there's people who are kind of on the on the, the, what do you say, like in the cafeteria a little bit, right, who are Catholic, but maybe don't um, completely understand where people who are like really Catholic are coming from. And it's a really great way to kind of have a comfortable, easy conversation. Because like you said, it starts quite often like with a joke, right? It's like, I'll make a joke about how natural family planning is really hard. And it, it's a, a struggle. And it drives me nuts with a in a joking way. <laughs> the no, the no that, fun plan is what I passionately call it. <laughs> I like that. That's good. You should make apps like you, that too. You can steal it just like you stole all, all right, your content all for right. your podcast and your book. <laughs> that's better. That's better than I've always heard it referred to as not for Protestants. So I think that's a lot better than no fun plan is, is much more ecumenical, ecumenical at least. Yeah, but you know, so you can start with a joke and, and, and people who use an FP get the joke and they think it's funny. And then there's people who don't, you know, haven't bought into the church's teaching on, on contraception and natural family planning who see the joke and then ask a question, right? Like, well, if anything from like, well, you know, the church is wrong anyways, like try and explain to me why the church is right to, oh, tell me more about why you still do it if it's a struggle. And so they can respond to the joke because it's easy and it's comfortable and it's not confrontational. And that just opens the door to uh, meet people where they're at and kind of help them to see a little bit that they wouldn't see otherwise. And it's, it's done on this platform of Twitter, which is unbelievable that it happens, but it really does. So... Um, yeah, people should get on Catholic social media because the opportunities for evangelization are plentiful. They they really are, and like there's there's beauty. I mean, you talked about the community stuff. Like you and I wouldn't be talking if it wasn't for Twitter. That's, I mean, that's right. A, uh, uh, so even just the community of a you know a, a you know bald old Texan guy and and a you know a, a, a hipster <laughs> out in California, like it would never would have happened. Less, right? Slightly less bald, but still balding <laughs> California guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So like it wouldn't ever happen. But then also, yeah, I think so. Um, in our last like minute or two, um, you you ended with that like encouragement for people to get on to get on social media as an evangelization tool. And I think one of the fears that I have for people getting on because I've seen it used incorrectly, where it's just people, you know, like there's this like <laughs> there's this thing that I've seen people do even to you. It's like um, you know, uh, repent and submit to the Pope, where it's just people like yelling <laughs> at people on Twitter and that type of thing. Yeah. So. Um, right. what, what are like, yeah, we got like 60 seconds left. What's like the one, uh, the top do this on Catholic Twitter, the top don't do this on Catholic Twitter. Oh yeah. All right. So do, I think do be authentic. I think that's probably one of the most powerful things. Like it's, it's a helpful thing to talk about things about the faith that you struggle with. In addition to talking about the joys that the faith brings you. So be authentic and stay yourself. Things that you don't do, do not allow yourself to focus on comments that come your way that are uncharitable. 
um, because it can really, you know, it can just kind of consume your mind thinking about something mean that someone said to you or a response or, you know, that they didn't say something nice to you when you're saying something that's really uh, deeply emotional to you. And so you really just have to figure out how to let those things slide like water off a duck's back if you're going to be able to kind of, you know, survive on, the, on social media. Yeah, the block button is a lot of fun. So. Yes, the block button is good and you should use it. It's it's still in, you know, in love, block in love. Block in love. Yeah. Got to be a uh, it's thing. the it's the uh modern day version of wiping the dust off your feet if your piece doesn't you return exactly. to you. Exactly. That's yeah. biblical, right? Yeah. <laughs> Bible that would include blocking for sure. Yeah, the, the hipster <laughs> Bible. Well, hey, Tommy, thanks for coming on. Guys, go check him out on CatholicHipster.com. You can find his book, website, podcast, all the great stuff he does. Tommy, thanks for coming on, man. Thanks, man. Have a wonderful day. Yeah, God bless you. Catholic Hipster was so much fun. I want to thank Tommy Ty again for coming on. Uh, I know he, he's, he has a crazy schedule, so thanks for coming on uh, to the show. We had a lot of fun learning what a hipster is, learning what a Catholic hipster is, and then learning how to use uh, Catholic social media to further the gospel. So um, if you're just joining us uh, in our first segment, we were talking about Pentecost. We talked about the story of the raising of Lazarus that has the characters of Jesus, Lazarus, Mary, Martha, and then we're going to talk about the story of the anointing at Bethany. And what's interesting about this story, um, so there's four Gospels, right? There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There are not uh, uh, many stories that are in all four Gospels. So if you think about it, like even the nativity of Jesus is only in two Gospels, right? Like uh, uh, the explanation of Jesus as a child is only in Matthew and Luke, um, the crucifixion is obviously in all four. That's kind of a big deal. <clears throat> so, but there's, uh, it's very rare. The feeding of the 5,000 or 4,000 kind of depends on the book is in all of them, but it's very rare. The stories that are in all four. So when they're in all four, you know, that it's actually a, a big deal, right? So this is a story that you might've heard before. You've probably heard it. I know that I heard it and, and, uh, never really thought about it. It's a story that I knew, but I never really like dove deeper into it, never prayed with it, never really sought to understand it. I just heard it and I was like, that's a nice story. And then I moved on with my day or, you know, tuned out during the homily or whatever happened next in my life, right? <clears throat> but this story is a big deal. It's, it's one of the few stories in all four gospels. And it's the story of, of Jesus being anointed at Bethany. So, what we're going to do is it's a relatively short story, a few a few verses in each in each chapter, and what I or in uh, in each book. And what I want to do is is look at the story kind of through the lens of all four of these gospels. Pretty short story, so we'll have time to be able to look at it through these multiple lenses. Because uh, when I, this came from the staff retreat that I went on uh, two weeks ago, and we were looking at one of these stories, and I was like, huh, I don't fully understand it. I want to go see it in a, in a different book. And it's crazy how the Word of God, right? So the, these gospel writers wrote with the um, inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but still had like their faculty, like the, God didn't take their hand and move their hand for them. Like they were still using their mind and their intellect, but God um, guided that. And, and every word he wanted in the scriptures got in the scriptures. Every word he didn't want in wasn't put in, right? So it's really uh, neat, interesting, whatever you want to say, what is how this story kind of compiles when you look at all the tellings of it? <clears throat> so the first one's in Matthew. It says, now when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, a woman came up to him with an alabaster, fla an alabast alabaster flask. That's hard to say. Say that 10 times twice. There are three people in their car listening to this that just started saying that <laughs> a lot of times twice. Uh, it's a very expensive ointment. And she poured it on his head as he reclined at table. So, so picture this, right? So first of all, the first thing we have to address is that Simon was a leper. So Jake, you've heard stories in the Bible before, I'm assuming, that you've, you, you have heard of, of a Bible, yes? Yep. All right. So uh, the people in the Bible who are lepers, how are they viewed by their fellow citizens? They're outcasts. Outcasts, right? So it's some kind of uh, skin, uh, disease. skin disease, right? So if... 
<laughs> Jake just pointed at something wrong with his skin. I might have to cast him out of the studio. Um, uh, thank goodness that we're not 2,000 years ago. Um, because I need you, Jake. Don't leave. <laughs> Don't ever leave me. Um, they were cast out, but there was also, a, like, what, what did they believe caused this leprosy? Their sin. Their sin, right? So they said that either you sinned or your parents sinned, so you got leprosy. So we'll keep that in mind as we're listening to the rest of the story, because that's who's hosting this party, is a guy named Simon the leper, right? So this woman comes in, expensive ointment, pours it on Jesus' head as he's at the table. And when the, first of all, it says he reclined at table. Every time I hear the story, I just want a recliner at my dinner table. I want to be able to recline every time I'm eating dinner. All right, back to the story. When the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, why this waste? For this could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, because Jesus knows everything, he wins, said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? For, he has, for, for she has done a beautiful thing to me. For you will always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. In pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for burial. Truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also, will also be told in memory of her. So. F- couple of things here. First of all, that ending is epic. Jesus says, anywhere the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, this story will be in it. And it's in all four gospels. And here we are 2,000 years later reading it in all four gospels, right? So when Jesus says something, he means it and it's going to happen. I just thought that was really neat. And also how this, this little act, so it was, it was a big deal, right? It was expensive, but this Act probably took, I don't know, 30 seconds, a minute, two minutes, right, for her to, for her to pour this oil on it, and she wipes it with her, with her hair. So not this, this great, uh, you know, she didn't climb Everest, she didn't uh, save thousands of people, but this relatively small act is now being proclaimed and has been proclaimed for over 2,000 years. And I, as I was thinking about this, I was like, okay, what are the little things in our lives that actually have eternal impact? Because this woman had, had an impact on Jesus, had an impact on the people in that room. We're going to get more into that about the impact that it actually had on them and probably what that meant. But it's also going to have an impact on those who hear it now. And hopefully it'll have an impact on your life over the next 10 minutes as we dive more into this story. So this, this small event can, can tell us first that little things that we do, the little, the little things that we share when we, when we share... Um, our love for God with somebody. The little things we do whenever we do something, uh, we hold something as simple as holding the door open for somebody. Or um, we were, you know, I, I, the grief has been on my mind a lot lately, like helping people out in grief. We, in, the, in the previous story, we talked about when Lazarus died and that there was a group of people who traveled with Mary when she was grieving to go grieve with her and be with her and, and to just not leave her alone whenever she was grieving. Like just little things like that. When you're grieving with somebody, you don't feel like a you know, superhero, but that can have a huge impact on that person, a huge impact on their life in, in the present and in the future. So focusing on the little things and realizing that these little things that you do as parents for your kids or that you do as, 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 uh, as young people for your friends or as young adults for your parents or for the people at your university, whatever it is, can actually have a huge impact on these people's lives. Um... Secondly, or thirdly, I guess, whatever number we're on. Fourthly, fifthly, and sixthly. Sixthly? That's a really weird word. So we'll say seventh, seventhly. Uh, or it's just getting worse. Eighth, eighthly, ninthly, tenthly. All right. Those are all really weird words, and I will never, ever do that again in my entire life. Not real words, actually, so. Are they not real words? Probably not. Okay. Um, we'll get into some other not real words later on. Um, the word nard is in two of the Gospels later on. I don't know what a nard is, really. All I think of is The Office with Nard Dog. So all the Office fans stand up in your cars while listening to this podcast. All right. So, don't be safe on the roads out there, friends. Um, so so he, he, he says to the people after, because people are mad. They're mad that, that um, this woman, we don't know her name from this story. We'll get to that in a second. That this woman comes up with this expensive ointment and she, quote-unquote, wastes it on Jesus. And they're mad 
Um, it's like this, this, this money could, or this could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. And it's interesting because I've, I've heard that a similar argument when, when the Catholic Church makes pretty churches. It's like, why did you make this pretty church? You could have you could, you could, could have made a simple church and given all that money to the poor. It's like, okay, let's frame this real quick. First of all, two, two, different, two different things that make this okay. In the Old Testament, God, whenever he was making his temple in, in the Old Testament, he was very specific about it, and it was very extravagant. Because it's like whenever we come to worship, it's supposed to be something that's set apart. So if our church looks like our, our bedroom or looks like our living room, there's nothing different about it. There's nothing special about it. There's nothing to put us in the frame of mind of worship or prayer or this is our time for God. So, and, and like, so we are supposed to, it's, it's good for us and it's to honor God, right? A lot of times, one of my favorite stories is, is uh, down in the valley, uh, South Texas, there's a, uh, a basilica, beautiful basilica. It's, it's in not, not the richest part of America by far, very, uh, mostly poor area. And this, it was built solely on the on the gifts of that local community they they didn't take grant money from from outside sources from orders or or from anything else right it was actually this beautiful thing was from the the tithes of people who don't make much money it's just so so beautiful right and they take so much pride in that church they love that church and they love having visitors come and make pilgrimages there and that's what that's what i've done in the past it's beautiful beautiful church and it's, and it's interesting what he says. He says, the poor will always be with you. I'm just like, well, that's an interesting thing for Jesus to say, right? Wouldn't Jesus want people to not suffer, not be poor? It's like, yeah, like he wants good things for people. But at the same time, he knows that there's a natural order to things, that there's, there are natural things that happen. Death happens. Sickness happens. There, and he says it here. There will always be people that are poorer than, than others. Right? He knows human nature. He knows there are going to be some people, like not all wealthy people are stamping on poor people, right? But he knows that there are people who are going to take, make um, abuses of their power, abuses of their wealth, and, and that sort of thing, right? Um, and what's interesting, I want to keep talking about that by reading the next story. Because um, it says, while he was um, in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, reclining at table, same, same types of thing, right? Pulls out the pure nard, that's what the ointment was called. Um, very costly, she broke the flask and poured it over his head. Um, there were some others who said indignantly, why is the ointment like this? Um, it could be sold for more than 300 denarii, which is like uh, a denarii was a day's wage. So what somebody makes in almost a year, 300 days, right? Um, give it to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus says, leave her alone, which I think is one of the greatest things Jesus ever says. It's like, you don't think of Jesus, like when you picture Jesus, he's like really kind and nice. He just says, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing for me. He says the same thing. You'll always have the poor with you. You will not always have me. Um, in, in, in the next story, it's, um, it's in John. Uh, in, in Luke and in John, he talks to Simon because Simon, it says, it now says that Simon was, is a leper, but he's also a Pharisee. We find out that he's in this, you know, he's in this religious community of, of the Jewish people where he, he was, um, had a higher rank. He's hosting this table for Lazarus, who has come back from the dead. Mary and Martha are there. It's all, it's all a, a dinner in honor of Lazarus. So, so the, for the first time in reading this at the, at the, at the retreat, I was like, oh, this is, this is like a wealthy person. He's a, he's a Pharisee, well-to-do man, highly respected man, and Jesus is calling him out because in one of the stories, it, it's Simon who says, "Why did you do this?" And it's this odd thing because he's he's surrounded by these wealthy people, and the wealthy people are mad that somebody's using something expensive and wasting it. And then in the, in the final story in John, it's actually uh, Judas Iscariot who gets mad. And it actually says the reason that he got mad, but Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, and it even says in, like, not quotations, uh, parentheses, he was the one about to betray him. It says, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? So in, in John's story, it's Judas that says it, not the crowd or not Simon. He said this not because he cared about the poor. <laughs> so he's, Judas says out loud, this could have been sold and given to the poor. He said this not because he cared at all about the poor, but because he was a thief and had charge of the money bag, 
he used to, to uh, help himself to, uh, to what was put into it, right? And again, Jesus says, leave her alone. <laughs> but here's the deal. Whether, whether it's Simon the leper or whether it's Judas saying it, there's this, there's this, uh, it's, they're being fake. They're saying, oh, we, you should have done this to help the poor. But in their own hearts, they're not going to help the poor. Like it literally says that Judas doesn't, Judas doesn't care about the poor at all. He just wants it for his selfish gain, right? So I just found it very interesting. And I know a lot of uh, very generous, wealthy people as a missionary. I'm very thankful for wealthy people who support me monthly, that sort of thing. But um, it is, I think, a, a, a call to be able to check ourselves on, okay, when we get mad at God for something or we get mad at something happening, it's like, oh, this person is wasting something. It's like, oh, am I really, how generous am I being? That sort of thing. It's a, it's a check for us. And then finally, and, and I think the, probably the biggest lesson that really stuck out to me was in Luke's gospel. So same thing. Um, she comes and, sh- and she wipes, she wipes uh, the ointment with her hair on his feet. And I, I was like, I had never like imagined what that looked like before. Like, think about like how like self-humiliating that is. You get on, you get on the ground, you pour this ointment on somebody, and you wipe their feet, which we know from biblical times, their feet were nasty, right? And um, she's wiping it with her hair, so she, her head is very close to the ground. It's just, it, it's like very humbling scene. Um. So Jesus. So, so uh, in, in this story, the Pharisee who invited him saw this, says, if this man were a prophet, he'd known that this woman is a sinner. Why is she touching him? Which is interesting because, as Jake told us earlier, lepers, we find out that he was a former leper, that he used to be a leper, and then he, got, he was healed. What did they think he, he was? He was a sinner. And now he's healed, so now he's like, oh, I used to be a sinner. Now I'm good. And now he's saying, okay, she's a sinner, not me. And then so Jesus says, Simon, I have something to, sell, something to tell you. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay it, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them would love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And Jesus said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? Which is so sarcastic. Yes, I see this woman. We've been talking about her for 10 minutes. I entered your house. You gave me nothing, no water for my feet, but she has come to wet my feet with her tears and wipe them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time uh, I came in, she has never not ceased to kiss my feet. Uh, you did not anoint my head with oil. She has done it with my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much, and he who is forgiven little loves little. Boom. Like, that's, that's the big lesson in this right so i hope you guys uh got something out of that story i definitely did at the retreat um last little thing guys this is just my plea for you help grow the show share the the link of the podcast even if you're listening live on the radio and you're listening like listening to it right now uh when the link goes out tomorrow share it go support me on patreon i got babies to feed see ya <laughs>